I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host Simon. What happens on this channel? One of my writers, Emma, has written me a script, The Kruger Million, South Africa's Lost Fortune. Um, I've never read it before. I have no idea what that's, this is about. This is the format of the show. I read it, we explore it together. Maybe there shall be some decoding. Let's jump into it. <laughs> On the 4th of June 1900, the sound of cannon fire resounded through the night, reverberating against the buildings surrounding Church Square in Pretoria. It was the capital city of a young state called the Zuid Afrikaans Republic. Have fun pronouncing that, Simon. <laughs> yeah, no, I just guessed. Uh, also known as the South African Republic or the Tsar. Z A R or Tsar? It's Tsar, right? It's all, it's like. It's all caps Z-A-R, but Tsar. And it was being invaded by the British Empire. <laughs> Shocking. You see, the Tsar and its neighboring state, the Oranyi Vriestaat, or Orange Free State, had been founded and settled by the descendants of Dutch, German, and French colonists just 50 years earlier. They'd felt oppressed by the British's rule over the Cape Colony and had moved further inland in 1835, establishing their own colonies, and had eventually managed to persuade the British that they were no longer British citizens. Those settlers now referred to themselves as burgers, like the food. Oh, sorry, that's a pronunciation guide, because it's it's spelt differently. There's like an extra H in there. Oh my god, I really feel like a burger. Oh my god, shall I have burgers? Normally I don't eat lunch, but a burger sounds so good right now. Wow. That's Dutch for citizen, but would in future be referred to as the Boers, a peasant or rough and bad-mannered person, but it was also the Dutch word for farmer. They were poor and uneducated in comparison to the merchants, tradesmen, and the settled farmers who still lived in the Cape Colony, and since they mostly made a living from farming, hunting, and trading, the British left them alone. But then, obviously something changes. Britain's gonna want that sh back. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be diamonds were discovered in the Orange Free State in 1873. And the British wasted no time laying claim to Kimberley and its rich diamond mine. Yeah, I've heard of Kimberley. And the only reason why is because of its giant diamond mine. Kimberley diamond mine is like, that's got to be like the biggest in the world, right? I've, I couldn't name any other diamond mine except for the Menong Peng or something like that. I think that's also in South Africa. Um, but Kimberley's the big one. It started off the First Boer War when the British then annexed the Tsar as well, but it ended after only six months. I don't know whether that should be Z-A-R. I feel like it should be because it's like UK. You don't pronounce it Uck. Oh, I don't know. And this isn't one you can just look at. I don't know what my pronunciation dictionary will say about this because it could be a word in some random language and then you'll get it wrong. It's, it's very complicated. Tsar. Turkish, Tatar, Luxembourgish. Luxembourgish, Luxembourg have their own language? Really? Um, look, see, this isn't useful. This isn't useful. There's no helpful thing here. So whatever. We're going with Tsar. Everyone's just gonna have to live with it. It kicked off the first Boer War when the British then annexed. I really thought it was Boer. Or like Boer. Is it Boer? I thought it was Boer. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have a weird pronunciation, 
B-O-A-R. Well, that's just going to give me... How do you spell this again? B-O-A-R-E? B-O-E-R. B-O-E-R. Look, I should trust Emma because she is South African. Ah, okay, listen, listen. Boer War. Boer War. I knew it was weird, and the American Americans pronounce it boar. Or whatever, I'm just going to go with boar because the majority of you are Americans, and Emma told me that's how you pronounce it. So, uh, we're just going to do boar. It's also easier to say than boa. 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 It sounds like boa constrictor. Let's carry on. But it ended after only six months when undermanned British army negotiated a peace treaty. But in 1886, the world's richest gold vein was discovered just 48 kilometers south of Pretoria, the capital city of the Tsar. And now the Second Boer War was being fought to determine who would reign supreme over the hidden wealth. Johannesburg, the city that had sprung up amidst the mad dash for gold just four years earlier, had already fallen to the British Empire. And now Lord Robertson is army were advancing on Pretoria, the last Boer stronghold. When they rode into Pretoria on the 5th of June 1900, they found that the city had been all but abandoned by the Tsar's government. The small force of Boer commandos who had been defending the city were convinced to surrender, and now both capitals of the Tsar and the Orange Free State are under British control. However, within days it became clear that the Tsar's government hadn't just abandoned the city, they'd emptied it completely. The newly built forts had been built along the southern border of the city, and they'd been emptied of artillery and cannons that had been stored there. The National Bank's vaults were bare and its gold stores removed. The Tsar's mint was also devoid of any signs of gold, and reports reached Pretoria that the processed gold that had been stored in Johannesburg had all been removed as well. Soon, news broke that the Tsar's government had left Pretoria with a gold fortune of over £2.5 million in their possession. Um, is that current money? or oh, That's got to be money back in the day, because £2.5 million doesn't buy you much gold these days. A bar of gold's like half a million quid, something like that, which is mad, like one of those big bars. I don't know how much they weigh, like 10 kilos. How much is a kilo of gold? I feel like that's like 50 grand, something like that. I know it changes, but that's what's in my mind. So, look, it's not that much gold. Also, gold's really small because it's so dense. Um, I think that's I think that's like back in the day money. So that's going to be worth an absolute f***ing fortune today. It made news worldwide, and soon more and more people speculated about where the gold had ended up. 122 years later, the mystery of Kruger's millions still fascinates a lot of people, and numerous local conspiracy theorists still pepper the internet with their opinions. But the question is, is it actually missing? What we know. The international media was quick to call the missing gold Kruger's millions, naming it after the then-president of the Tsar, President Paul Kruger. According to history, the missing gold was worth more than £2.5 million. During a public inquiry held in 1915, documentary proof was provided that 1,202 gold bars, that's 183,138 ounces in total, to the value of £2 million, are removed from various mines in the weeks leading up to Johannesburg's capture. The gold that had been removed from the national bank and mint in Pretoria had amounted to £1.3 million, so in total, that meant that almost £3.3 million worth of gold had disappeared. These days, the gold bars alone would be worth over $334 million. That is a hell of a lot of money. 
1920, the Tsar and the Orange Free State were incorporated into the new Union of South Africa, along with the Cape and Natal colonies. In 1929, Colonel Dennis Raitz, the son of Dr. F. W. Raitz, the former Secretary of State, claimed that the treasure had never existed. Yeah, yeah, he's like, never existed. Where did you get all your money from? Nowhere. I always had it. He explained that only £80,000 worth of gold bars had been removed from the National Bank and had travelled with President Kruger to Mashadodorp. The gold bars were then sold at auction in France in order to fund the war once President Kruger went into exile in Europe. Colonel Rates also brought up a conversation that it had with the late Boer General Louis Botha, who claimed that the rumour of a lost treasure had been started by Boer soldiers who believed the crates of ammunition that had been loaded onto the trains contained gold and that those crates were carted off into the Veld to be buried until a later date. I'll tell you what, if they were lifting those crates, they would have known. Because gold, I said it earlier, gold is so heavy. Like, look up how big a kilogram of gold is, and then think about that's the same weight as like a liter of water. Oh my god, I just realized how Americans are listening to this and you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just trust me, gold is really dense. Trust me, I know. Of course, Colonel Raitz's claims don't stop the conspiracy theorists, and a news article was published in the Adelaide Chronicle on the 20th of April 1929, explaining that treasure hunters scar the face of obscure South African commons with trenches whenever a fresh clue is discovered. In the office of the Commissioner of Police of Pretoria, there is a stack of files six feet high, all devoted to the mythology that has sprung up around the Kruger Millions. Graves have been opened, antiques have been smashed over square miles of bells, and the entire floor of ruined Boer forts have been turned over in the night. And that ends quote. But on the 25th of October 1949, Ernest Mayer, who had been the master of the mint when the gold was removed, finally broke his silence over what had happened on the 4th of June 1900, two days after the government had left Pretoria. According to Mayer, General Jan Smuts of the Boer Army had been ordered to ensure that the ammunition, cannons and gold that had been stored in Pretoria didn't fall into enemy hands. He had sent soldiers to the south of Pretoria in order to delay Lord Robert's progress while they spirited the wealth of the Tsar away, knowing that they wouldn't be able to defend the city against the British. But somehow, the mint had been overlooked. <laughs> Wait, you're spiriting all your country's money away? It's like, did no one think to check in the mint? <laughs> Literally where the money comes from? It's a little stupid. It's a lot stupid. And at 7am on Monday morning, the 4th of June, the Mint was still operating as normal, despite the cannon fire that could be heard all across the city. Mayer had known that the Mint was to be emptied as well, and met with the head of the Mint, Jules Perrin, who had apparently decided that they would yield to the British should they succeed in taking control of Praetoria. Perrin had no interest in dispatching the gold like he'd been ordered to. At a fire, Mayer then hurried to General Jan Smuts' home and informed him that the Mint still hadn't been emptied of its gold. General Smuts was shocked since he had been under the impression that the gold had already been sent on its way when the government had left the city two days earlier and ordered that the mint's gold should be collected, recorded, and dispatched immediately. Mayer reported that between 9am and 12 that afternoon, minted coins worth £750,000, which is a lot of money today. Gold bars and unprocessed gold have been counted, are recorded, and loaded onto an awaiting train's baggage compartment. 
mayor and armed guard of four to eight men and several employees of the mint boarded the train and headed east towards Makadorp, where the Tsar's government had set up a base camp. Arriving in Makadorp just after 2 p.m., Meyer watched as several claimants were paid using the coins that they'd taken from the mint. And when he left for the front on the 17th of July, Commandant General Mainder Noom, the chief clerk to the Auditor General, took over custody of the gold. Noom later recounted in a diary that on the 31st of August 1900, 62 cases of gold were taken by train to Lorenzo Marx, Mozambique's capital city at the time, where it was handed over to a German firm called Wilken and Ackerman. The firm credited an account in the name of the Tsar, and over the next two years, they would supply the Boers with provisions to make money available to the citizens of the two Boer states who wanted to flee to Europe. Oh my god, this is really complicated. So, the gold has been emptied, it's been taken somewhere else, and then it's been credited to a Tsar account, and that money in Germany or something like that and that money is being made available to citizens of the country who want to leave all right that's super confusing but okay some of the gold was kept in control of the Boer generals who were ordered to use it to finance the war. It's also a historic fact that President Paul Kruger had purchased at least one property in Europe during his exile there and rented three more before his death on the 14th of July 1904, two years after the war officially ended. Since it left for Europe with the express purpose of gaining support for the Boer cause, it's only fair to assume that it had taken at least some of the gold with him, giving credence to Colonel Rates's claim that some of the gold had been sold at auction after President Kruger arrived in in France. But they couldn't possibly have spent all of the £3.3 million in just two years, could they? And remember, that's like £300 million or whatever it was today. It's a huge amount. Theories There seem to only be two main theories regarding what had happened to the lost millions. Funnily enough, both of the theories have a real unclaimed treasure attached to them that doesn't include the Kruger millions. Okay, just because it wasn't complicated enough, apparently. Number 1. The Dorothea One of the lesser-known theories surrounding the Kruger Millions is that it was rumored to have been loaded onto the Dorothea, a wooden steel bark that sank off the coast of modern-day St. Lucia, South Africa, in January 1898, seven months before the war started. I'm not going to go too deep into this theory, since it should be obvious from the get-go that the Kruger Millions weren't on the Dorothea. Not only that, but it was well known that before the war broke out, syndicates had been bribing officials on the mines and were smuggling gold out of the country in order to go sell it in Europe for far more competitive prices. Oh yes, back in the day where it'd be like, nowadays, wherever you buy gold, it's going to be around the same price because it's a global market. But back in the day, they'd be like, let's take this to Europe and sell it. It's strange. In fact, the Dorothea's cargo hold did contain gold when she sank, even though I couldn't find a reliable source that explained just how much gold she carried. How it became linked with the Kruger Millions is anyone's guess, but during my research, I stumbled over an article that fell under the heading of Kruger's Millions that described a planned expedition to recover the Dorothea's golden cargo. According to the article, the captain of the ship, the Alfred Noble Captain Charles Gardiner, believed the Kruger Millions was very real, referring to the claims that had been loaded onto the Dorothea, according to Captain Garner, 
Deep down in the sea, on the Tenedos Reef off the coast of Zululand, where she sank at the beginning of the Boer War, rests the ship Dorothea. In her hold lies a huge cement column, inside which is hidden 650,000 pounds in gold bars, which Paul Kruger sent from the Transvaal. It is this vast treasure that I'm going to rescue from the deep. It is no wildcat scheme that I am after, for we have already located the exact position of the wreck. The Dorothea lies two miles off of Cape Vidal off the Zulu coast. A preliminary expedition discovered the whereabouts of the ship, and we are now fitting out with the object of recovering Kruger's thousands from her hold. But it was... The timeline doesn't add up. How does it... I guess he just doesn't know. The article then continues to explain the preparations they'd already made and relates Captain Gardner's claim that a 14-foot-long octopus had attacked one of the divers who explored the wreck. Because the story, again, wasn't interesting enough. According to the captain, quote, It is fortunate that none of its tentacles touched the man's wrists. If they had caught one of these, the only exposed parts of his body, the creature would have sucked his lifeblood dry. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit of an embellishment there, isn't it, mate? It's an interesting story if not exactly factual. For one, the only octopus that I could find that grows to be over 14 feet is the giant Pacific octopus, and they aren't found anywhere near Africa's coasts. Secondly, according to Wikipedia, they eat shrimp, crabs, scallop, abalone, cockles, snails, clams, lobsters, fish, squid, and other octopuses. Not human blood. <laughs> it's like, what's its diet? The blood of humans. How does it get that? For sucking it through the wrists. The story alone told me the Captain Garner loves tall tales of adventure and daring, and I went looking for a follow-up article to his story. I found it in an article that was published by the Daily Telegraph on the 31st of October 1908, and it only confirmed my suspicions that Captain Gardner is full of hot air. Apparently the expedition was a failure, but the article does explain that, quote, the treasure is now said to be nothing or whatever to do with Kruger, although 450,000 pounds in bar gold from the Transvaal is believed to be in the hold of the wreck ship Dorothea. Okay, so maybe it's like not related. That could be it because it's definitely not the mint gold that was moved because the timeline doesn't add up, so it could be some other gold. But again, that's about as much as was in the mint, right? So where's all this gold magically coming from? There's someone in the country who has as much gold as the country's mint? I don't believe it. Captain Gardner then goes on to explain how he'd been ordered by his employers to visit the other wrecks first and then list the treasures they'd managed to recover from a Dutch vessel, the Middleburg, which was wrecked in 1714 before rushing to recover the cargo off of a British ship, the Dunbeth, that had been wrecked at Angra Peguena in modern-day Namibia. His wasn't the only expedition to fail at recovering the Dorothea's lost gold, and I came across an application that was lodged in 2008 by a company called Atlantis Salvaging Pty Ltd. The owner of the company also seemed to believe that the Dorothea had been carrying Kruger's millions and was asking for permission to excavate the Dorothea. Guys, you know the timeline doesn't add up. This isn't the past. You've got reliable information. This is only like 15 years ago. <laughs> Come on. The application was approved in 2012, but since Atlantis Salvaging stopped existing soon after for failing to pay their taxes, I'm assuming that they never recovered the gold. They probably needed it. They were like, how are we going to pay these bills? we got to get that non-existent gold. <laughs> Guys, it doesn't exist. You're just wasting more money that you don't have. What remains of the... Oh, well, I mean, to be... I'm not saying it doesn't exist. There could be something on the Dorothea, but it's not the Kruger's millions. And for it to be anywhere close to £450,000 or whatever it was back in the day, which is a god, no, god, giant amount of money today, it's like, no, 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 no. What remains of the Dorothea can apparently still be seen during low tide, but no one has claimed to have recovered her cargo, so perhaps it's still there. 
Number two, buried for a rainy day. The main legend surrounding Kruger's millions claims that the gold was buried somewhere north of Machadadorp, and it seems to be the result of a story told by a man named John Holtzhausen. He had been captured in Kimberley on the 29th of September 1905 for stealing a horse and carriage, so obviously he was a well-respected and honorable man. He claimed that he had been on his way to Machadadorp in order to fetch the Kruger millions. According to John, he and two other soldiers named Pretorius and Schwartz had been ordered by the Tsar government to bury the gold and diamonds that had been taken from Praetoria. He explains that they'd buried it 50 miles north of the Blyde River near a small mining town called Ladesdorp. He claims that both men were now dead, so he was the only one who knew where the gold was buried. This is just a tall tale, mate. Got any evidence for that, mate? Holtzhausen served his 30-month sentence and then disappeared, but according to the Barberton Museum, his story was based on the murder trail of a man called Philip Schwartz, who was executed on the 15th of February 1904. Schwartz and one of his fellow soldiers, a man named Praetorius, had come across a skeleton during the Second Boer War and found the deceased man had three small bags containing diamonds as well as roughly five molded bars in his possession. They'd split the treasure, then buried it east of the Blyde River, planning on recovering it after the war. Praetorius died during the war, Warren Schwartz was later convicted for the murder of a man called Fanny Van Nykerk, who'd gone in to retrieve the buried treasure with him. It's not clear whether Schwartz did manage to recover the treasure before he was arrested near Ladesdorp. Okay, so we're talking about some treasure, probably real, but it's nowhere near. It's just such a, 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 a much smaller amount. And don't get me wrong, I'd love five moldy bars of gold and some bags of diamonds, but it's not an entire country's gold supply. However, John Holtzhausen's story is still at the root of many theories regarding the buried treasure, with the town mentioned switching between Ladesdorp and Leidenberg, both of which are located within 100 kilometers of the Blyde River. If you Google the words Krugermillion's maps, you'll find thousands of maps detailing the possible locations where the gold could have been buried, all based on the existing railroad lines at the time. But since the idea was to use the gold to supply the Boer army for the remainder of the war, why would the Boer generals have ordered it buried? It makes sense for a treasure that was pilfered off of a corpse, but not for the sole budget of a ragtag army made up of farmers, miners, and tradesmen. I also think people are corrupt, and they'd be like, yeah, 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 we could use this gold to fund the war. Or, what if we buried just a lot of it, and used some of it to fund the war, lose the war, surrender, serve out our jail sentences or whatever, or just be freed because it's just prisoners of war or whatever, go collect our gold, and then go live on a tropical island forever? Easy! However, I did come across at least two reports where someone claimed to have dug up the Kruger Millions. A newspaper article was published by the Northam News on the 31st of March 1948, stating that someone claimed to have found a map to the treasure hidden in an old Bible. The man said that he'd followed the map and managed to unearth ammunition boxes filled with gold. He claimed that the number of coins it unearthed would be enough for him to buy several cars, and as proof, he showed the journalists a handful of what he claimed was Kruger's sovereigns. It's not enough to convince me that it really stumbled onto the the Kruger millions. For one, a handful of coins does not a fortune make. Also, it seems to be human nature to hold on to old currency, believing that it'll be worth a lot of money someday. My grandmother kept handfuls of old currency dating back to the 1970s, but it didn't mean that she'd somehow stumbled over the hidden treasure of a bank robber. My theory is that this unnamed man had simply discovered or inherited a few old coins and then claimed that he'd stumbled over a fortune for his own narcissistic needs. The second report was a more recent one, and is even more unbelievable. In June 2001, South African newspapers claimed that a portion of Kruger's millions had been found on a farm outside Amelo, a farming town on the Mapu. 
Pumalanga province. Hmm. A family of farm workers claimed to have dug up at least 400 Kruger pounds back in 1999 and that they've been living off the fortune ever since. A spokesman for the family claimed that the coins were dated 1889 and that the family had sold off at least 400 coins over the years for a total of 200,000 rand or $11,700. Now, here I'm calling bullshit on this on a number of points. For one, I happen to work for a company that sells gold coins, both bullion and collectible coins. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. And I've seen... <laughs> Emma would definitely know how much gold is worth. There we go. Is, is my guess of like 50 grand British, like halfway right? Yes, you did. Yes, he did. Yes, you are. I'm also fascinated with the history as a result, and as such, you could consider me somewhat of an expert on them. First off, the date is all wrong. The first Kruger ponds, not sovereigns, were minted by the Kaiser Mint in Berlin, Germany in 1892 in preparation for President Paul Kruger's second election. And before the official opening of the Tsar's Mint in July of the same year, there were 15,650 of them minted, and they are extremely rare today. They are also some of the most valuable Tsar coins that we sell since an engraving era resulted in a single-shafted ox wagon on the Tsar's coat of arms having two shafts instead of one. Currently, an 1892 double-standard Tsar pond is worth about $3,850, depending on the grading of the coin, meaning the condition that it is in established by independent companies like the NCG, the Numismatic Guarantee Company. Before the Tsar ponds, the Tsar had the Burgers bond, which was commissioned by then-president Thomas Francois Burgers. 837 coins were minted in London in total, and only 94 unknown to exist today. They are all dated 1874 and have a current value of $32,400 each. Secondly, the family claims that they had sold at least 400 of these coins for a total of 200,000 rands by the time the story broke. If we consider the date to be a simple printing error and the coins were actually dated 1898, they were selling the coins for 500 rand each. Considering that a graded 1898 one bond is currently worth 50,000 rand, I'd say that they're lying. This brings me to my theory regarding what truly might have happened to the Kruger Millions. My guess so far is that it, it happens exactly how they said. The money was, it left the mint, it was shipped over to, was it Germany? And it was put into a bank account to use to fund the war and used to get citizens out of the country who wanted to leave. Right? It's not buried in the ground somewhere. Maybe some of it went missing to corruption, but it is long gone if that's the case. The Veld Ponds and the Karl Ponds. We sell two kinds of coins that were put into circulation after the war broke out and the mint was emptied. One of them, known as the Karl Pond, is a bear coin that hadn't been minted yet. Some of these coins have a rim around them and the rest are completely blank, making them seem like nothing more than a golden disc. These coins on their own prove that the Kruger Millions have once existed since they are the result of the work at the mint being interrupted that Monday morning. That's so cool. That's so cool how you can see that little bit of history. It's like, why are these coins blank? Because the country was invaded and the mint was just stopped printing and they had to go. That's so cool. The coins known as both the Leidenberg Kalpons and the Makadadorp Kalpons were placed into circulation after Praetoria fell to the British Army in June 1900. It isn't known how many of the coins existed, but I've counted at least 18 myself, and they're considered to be extremely rare. The rest of the coins that already had been minted wouldn't have been as obvious or once they were placed into circulation, since at least 788,000 Kruger Pons dated 1900 were minted before Praetoria fell to Lord Roberts and his army. As for the second coin, it is the most interesting 
interesting one. Known as the Veldpont, it is a rough coin that was produced in a gold mine in Pilgrim's Rest using handmade steel dies. It is engraved with the words Iron Pond on one side and Tsar 1902 on the other. The edges of the coin are rounded and uneven, much like a dollop of wax looks when it has been stamped with a seal. I'm looking at these right now, I assume they'll be on the screen as well. They look cool. According to history, the remaining Boer government was running low on funds by 1902, and they needed to supply their soldiers with coins that could be used to purchase supplies from local black tribes. They already had gold bars in their possession, and according to an inquest that was held in 1915, gold was also removed from both the Barberton and Pilgrim's Rest mines in order to mint the Veld Pond. Former employees of the Tsar Mint were employed to help make the coins, and according to records, 986 of these were minted. They're heavier than the other coins weighing about 8 grams each compared to the standard 7.8 grams of the cow pond, and they were made using a mixture of 24 karat gold and mercury to keep the gold from cracking. Today they are considered to be the crowning glory of a czar coin collector, and their prices start at around $20,600. God damn! So now, here is my theory regarding what happened to the 3.3 million pounds that have been taken east by train. The real fortune. So, if you've been following long, you should already know that with time, we learned exactly what happened to Kruger's millions. I've tried my best to allude to it as we went along, but I'll summarize it for you below. First, we know that a portion of it traveled with Paul Kruger to Europe, since he and his companions used that money to live on for the next four years until his death in 1904. Sorry, yes, there was that money as well accounted for. He was also able to either purchase or rent properties in the countries he was living in. That accounts for at least part of the fortune. Secondly, we know that 62 cases of gold were handed over to Wilkin and Ackerman in Mozambique in order to supply the Boers for whatever they needed, at least until the money ran out in 1902. It would make sense that they would have sent gold bars instead of the minted coins, but I doubt they handed over all 1,202 gold bars to the German firm since they weighed close to 4.8 tons in total, and there's that whole saying about placing all of your eggs in one basket. Ah, uh, okay, so sure, a lot of it went to Germany, some of it went to fund the dude's life in Europe, and some of it also went to this Mozambique company to also fund the war. Thirdly, we've got the 1900 Kruger Pond. I've already mentioned that 788,000 of them were minted. Ernest Mayer claimed that they'd removed minted coins, the value of £750,000 from the mint. Assuming that he didn't work on an exchange rate of Tsar Pond versus British pounds, is it possible the official records included a large portion of the Kruger millions? And I think they did, mostly because it links up to my fourth point the Karl Ponds. It is a historic fact that the unminted coins have been distributed both from Lindenberg and Machadadorp in order to supplement the existing supply of currency. No one would have noticed the difference if the 1900 Kruger Ponds were included in this scheme since they would have already been in circulation. And point number five, the Veld Pond. The records of the man responsible for managing the entire process, Mr. P.J. Kloppers, claimed that the Boer government had already got gold bars on hand, not to mention the gold ore that they'd taken from the surrounding Mines. I've calculated that in order for them to make 986 Veld Ponds, they would have needed 278 ounces of gold, and that doesn't take into account the failed coins, the experiments, and wastage surrounding the production of the coins. I've already worked out that they would have only needed two or three bars from the 1202 they'd originally taken from the mint for this purpose, since it makes more sense that they would have used processed gold instead of going through the trouble of processing 278 tons of gold ore just to make a few coins. 
In conclusion, I think when the war ended, the British Army unknowingly laid claim to what remained of the Kruger millions as well. Following the war, the Velpond, Cowpond, and the remaining Tsar currency were seized by the British government and were officially replaced by the British sterling in 1902. I wasn't able to find out what the new government did with the Tsar coins that they'd seized, but I don't think that it's too far-fetched to say that they were melted down. So maybe Colonel Rates was correct when he claimed that the Kruger millions never existed, because it never belonged to just one man. I mean, they existed... It was all divided up and it went into a bunch of different places. It's an interesting story, but it's like, in a way, more boring than the dream everyone has of them being spirited away somewhere and people like hiding them and then dying or forgetting about it and all that shit. It's like, nah, they all just went like to a bunch of different places to fund a bunch of different stuff or were just nicked by the British. It's no, you know, that's what it is. There's no buried gold out there. I mean, there's tons of buried gold out there, I'm sure, just not this gold. So maybe Colonel Rates was correct when he claimed that the Kruger millions never existed because they never belonged to one man. It had been redistributed to every citizen of the Tsar, ensuring that they would have at least a hope of looking after themselves after their governments were forced into exile. But not all is lost, since I have seen the Carpon Veldpons and the 1900 Krugerpron with my own eyes, proof that at least part of it still exists today. And that brings me to the final part of the mystery. The Lost Horde on the 25th of February 2021, the South African Mint held a press conference and announced that a portion of the Kruger millions had been recovered. It had been transferred to a Swiss bank from the Netherlands shortly before the start of World War II, and the coins were still in a canvas bag that had the words, The National Bank of the South African Republic Limited printed on it. It was locked in a vault for years until the unclaimed vault, along with others, was opened up and the contents placed at auction. The South African Mint purchased the bag of coins and has since then put 1,000 of these coins up for sale. The coins have been authenticated and graded and are sold in a wooden display case along with a Kruger Rand and a replica of the bag that the coins were found in. In my mind, that brings the whole mystery to a nice close. The Kruger millions might have been lost, but a part of it still remains today. And in true capitalist fashion, you can now own a piece of the lost treasure, and it'll only cost you a few thousand dollars. This is a nice story. I liked it. Kind of like treasure hunting. If you enjoy this show, uh, that's where it ends. If you enjoy this show, please do uh, leave it a review. If you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.